you have to do like a ridiculous amount of granular research, in my opinion, to turn a guest on, to like open their eyes, be like, whoa, this person really knows what I'm talking about. And sometimes it will come organically if you're a big fan of the brand or if it's like a leader of a sport. In other ways, you have to find creative, almost gimmicks to like throw a guest off and like disarm them and get to a place of like higher authenticity and off the cuff conversation. This is Brand Story, a podcast celebrating the stories of real people who are making an impact on brands, business, and the world around them. Welcome to Brand Story. I'm your host, Steve Gilman, and today I'm talking to Adam Connor. Adam is the founder of Authentic Avenue, a company that specializes in the podcast as a pillar philosophy. He also recently started a new podcast called Growth Culture. And Adam is a Harvard grad with a passion for public speaking, storytelling, and has worked with over 170 different brands to create meaningful podcasts. And before starting Authentic Avenue in 2020, he worked at Vavoom Inc., I think I'm saying that right, and Applied Predictive Technologies. And hi, Adam. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's going on, Steve? I'm thrilled, genuinely. That's not just me saying it because I'm a guest. This is the second time that I've ever been interviewed. Oh, that's cool. So to be on the other side of the mic... Very nice. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, so yeah, I think this will be a really good time for both of us because I love your content and I really enjoy following you on LinkedIn. And so this is a treat for me as well. I think we'll have a really good time talking. I'm flattered. Yeah. Cool. Well, you got cool stuff going on, man. Um, I'm a fan. So you're sort of an evangelist of sorts for podcasts. And I think there are a lot of misperceptions, especially with business people around podcasts, Yeah. like how they're used, what the whole point is. How, you know, why don't I have an audience the size of Joe Rogan's, that kind of thing. Sure. Can you speak to that at all, man? Yes, um, because Joe Rogan, that type of size of audience is like attempting to get there as a brand just saying, yeah, we're going to launch a podcast. Isn't that great? That's like akin to a brand saying we want to get into video and oh, by the way, agency, could you make us go viral, please? You know, which is <laughs> what every every agency person or any creative yeah. listening to this is going to hate that because it's no one can get there. Now, that's not to say that you cannot get to the size of Joe Rogan. It's going to take a long time, years and years and years. But speaking more to the uses for it for a business, I like to evangelize that a podcast for a business should not be a primarily consumer audience generator because it is such an intimate medium. It is so long form that you are simply not going to capture audience that likes to consume your product, especially if you're like a B2B company or B2C company rather, B2B is very different, at the same rate or even near to the same rate as you will with other forms of more traditional advertising. Podcasting, as you well know, is a conversational medium where you are, it's assumed at least, that you'll have slightly more substantive things to say than buy my mug right. or whatever. Or here's my value proposition or here's a, yeah, it's not an ad. No, it's not. Now, that's not to say that it can't have benefits that an ad otherwise might. For instance, I tend to think that one of podcasting's biggest like value gaps that should be filled by somebody, hopefully me, but anybody who's helping brands do this is it is, and you might know this as well. I certainly do. It is like the best way to meet the people that you want to meet, but can't otherwise get in touch with. Yeah. Right. Not as a strict sales tactic, but just like, if I want to have a conversation on you, like if I have a startup that is super uh, passionate about X, Y, Z topic, and I want to talk to niche experts about it, the best way to talk to anyone forgetting your value prop is to say, I have something of value to give you first. And what better format? I mean, like how long did it take me to say yes to you after you messaged <laughs> yeah. me? Like it was five pretty quick. seconds. Yeah. And it's fun to, to, you know, and I think it's a tool for networking. And then, you know, the, the real magic of networking is you don't know how it's going to work. You know, and I think companies forget that the larger they get, you don't know when, you know, a connection you make might either help you or you'll be able to help them. So I think, you know, people go into it with this, like, what am I going to get out of it mentality? And that's not really the best way to go into podcasting, I don't think. No, I, I don't think so either. If you are getting into it, especially as a business, like prepare to have a cozy audience for a while, unless you're throwing a ton of money behind paid driving traffic there. And you should be prepared to lean into guests and 
making good content such that they share it. Every year, LinkedIn and Edelman put out a study that shows again and again that thought leadership is craved amongst executives. But increasingly, the number of executives that think that most of the content out there is of mediocre or poor quality continues to rise. And that number rose between the 2020 and 2021 studies. Um, I did my own like mini study in the middle of that um, in this same space. So that's that's why I can spout those stats. And it's, yeah, people forget. People forget that, um, you know, it's not, it's not like turn on the faucet and watch the leads come in in every aspect of content. And do you think that applies even more for B2B? Because I know you, you've worked with companies that are B2C trying to stand up podcasts and B2B, right? I have, yeah. And I've, I've certainly interviewed the leaders of companies that sell to both cohorts. Yeah. Um, you know, with, when it comes to B2B, my perception is that if I'm going to listen or consume anything from another business, like it's got to be super high value. And if that means it's long form, fine. Because I only have a limited amount of time that I devote to work things. If I'm going to consume something which is B2B in nature, even if it's content, I'm going to do that on my work time. I might, if I have the choice to listen to business podcasts every week, I might only do that for an hour or two tops. And that's why this, or, or participate in that kind of thing. I might have an hour or two tops. So um, yes, it applies way more in my mind to B2B than B2C because at the end of the day, I can't go to the Walmart and buy a podcast for 69 cents off the shelf. You know what I mean? Like it is, it's it's necessarily a more involved long tail content consumption choice as well as a, as well as a production choice. Yeah, and also just a really good way to produce quality content that people might get some value out of. And, you know, and I've seen you post and I think, you know, we both uh, do this. So, you know, taking moments from your podcast and using those as content, you know, writing follow-up blog posts, doing all those things adds a lot of value. And I feel like, you know, one of the greatest things I get out of this is every guest I learn. So I feel like I'm, I get to learn from wonderful people and have these incredible conversations. So just selfishly, that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> totally. I replaced a, in, in function, a business degree, perhaps in marketing through the two years that I was doing this kind of thing with Vavoom from 18 to 20. I interviewed, I don't know how many founders and CMOs. I think it was like 120, 125 in that time. And so spent like hours and hours and hours listening and listening again and reading and learning. Um, it's not the same as a classroom, but it certainly gave me a lot of practical on the ground knowledge and anecdotes. So yeah, it's learning is a ton of it for me. That's more of a selfish endeavor. You know, obviously it's, it changes when you're telling somebody's story and putting it out there. That short form content, by the way, last thought, that short form content is a much better way. If you want to like pull somebody in with interactive, like a, a B2B ad on LinkedIn, sure. Yeah. Take 15 seconds out of a pod and throw some paid on it, right? Take a quote image, you know, take, um, take a, blog post, which is easy for somebody to scroll through for a second. Um, you know, that the extensions of the podcast is maybe where you can get that. But the podcast itself, in most cases, at least it's my theory that it's not going to be a business's like Joe Rogan moment. No. And, and you know, it's, it's more about a sustainable, you know, I, I look at it from the point of view of trying to help, you know, if a B2B is going to do it, or even I wish B2Cs looked at it this way. But the reason I started this, I started mine during the pandemic, and it was because I wasn't having getting to have great one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. And I don't know if you do you follow Jay Harrington on uh, LinkedIn. I see his posts everywhere. I don't directly follow him. Yeah, he's pretty prolific, and uh, he and I become friends. And um, you know, he he has this point of view about the abundance of uh, you know generosity, about how LinkedIn's like that, about how content can be like that. So. You know, the if you approach podcasting or you approach this where you're not trying to just sell, where you're really just trying to like help someone tell their story or give them a platform or however it works, I think that's a much more genuine way to get into this. Totally agree, both from the individual podcaster POV and the business POV. Like you'll reap all the benefits of meeting these wonderful people later. Starting the relationship in this high value way is I, I think right now, I think it's unmatched in the way to connect with people. But of course, I think that I do this every day. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you get to actually have real conversations with people. And there are people that you sincerely connect with. And if you're trying to sell them something, 
Like you, you and I started talking because of a post I put out and you would put out, I read your posts all the time, just about how so many people stand up podcasts where they're thinly veiled uh, sales pitches. And those podcasts drive me out of my mind. It's a, it's a hard line to learn. Like the first podcast that I ever did in a business, the real business facing context, I've been doing it since like late 16 when I really started doing it for Vavoom and we said, okay, we're going to talk to CMOs and get their perspective on authenticity, actually, which is what I continued after Pavoom um, went out of business in, in August of 2020, victim of that year, uh, was with it was with a gentleman named Adam Grossman, is the CMO of the Boston Red Sox, and I, it became so hard not to ask questions or even to entice an answer, which was like, well, I might use Pavoom for that kind of thing. It's like, no, that that's you don't want that at all, and it took a time or two. Like I'll be honest, those first couple episodes were a little rough for me and a lot of cutting was done just because I couldn't I could I thought about it for months but I couldn't even tackle the topic that I wanted to do elegantly um and in not a roundabout way but in an indirect way yeah I, I mean it's so true and it's like I I think depending on how you get into podcasting the reasons behind it there's many different reasons there are people you might have a personal story to tell you might be trying to grow your business you might just have a passion for talking to interesting people. There's a lot of different reasons that people get into this. And so with, with you trying to help companies do this, do you think podcast creation from businesses is still underutilized? Yes. No, no brainer. Yes. Why do you think that is? Because it's a lot of time up front for not, I made 10 X revenue from the time investment that I put in immediately. Like, because there is a long tail there. It's because it's a rather old-fashioned way of networking with people. If I'm, like, I'll tell you why a salesperson does it very infrequently is because if they have a quota and they have 100, let's say they have 100 accounts or 200 accounts or whatever, I, I'm not sure what the typical, like, let's say SMB, SaaS salesperson uh, account uh, basis is, but it's more likely that they are going to keep hammering somebody with an email until they get 15 seconds, about 15 minutes for a call or a demo. Uh, then it will be to say, uh, like, I will, first of all, craft an entire show, which takes like hours and hours in the background. Then I'm going to give you an hour of time to sit down and record with you. Then I'm going to go through the several hours of post-production, work with my art team and put together this really fantastic curated pieces of content. No, oh, by the way, then I'm going to explode that into all the stuff we talked about, the clips and the text. And all. Um, no, nobody's just going to put in the time because... Then they're going to look at it at the end of the day and they're going to say, well, that was a lot of resources that I put into like essentially getting one lead. It's just, it, but it compounds and not a lot of people get to see the compounding because you're starting from very, very little. Yeah. A lot like investing. Exactly. Exactly. What's $10 out of my paycheck? I could use that for XYZ today, not realizing that like, yeah, if you save it for 40 years, what's the, what's that compound of 7% over 40 years? Something like 14 and a half, 14 and a half X. So like, yeah, nobody, nobody sees that. Nobody looks that way. I think we live in too impatient of a time. You know, from my point of view, one of the things you touched on, and I think is an interesting way, might be an interesting way to look at it, is there's just so much emphasis on performance marketing tactics. You know, where it's all about getting the clicks, getting the action, getting the getting, getting, getting. And I'm a brand marketer. So brand marketing is much more long tail and patient and about telling your story and about growing loyalty. And that so for me, this is a natural fit. If if I was trying to get fifteen minutes to pitch, I think I'd I'd just haven't I just don't live that way. So this for me, I just I started this because I love the people I talk to, and if it helps them somehow, that's great. It's like you put out good energy. You don't know how it's going to come back to you. It sometimes come back, it comes back in completely unexpected ways. I, I, I completely agree, and part of that, I, I mentioned very briefly earlier that I did a study of my own uh, in, in middle of 2020. This was with – or maybe, no, it was middle of 21. I'm, excuse me. Middle of 21, it was with um, basically the people I get my hands on that I had interviewed before. So this was mostly – uh, founders and CMOs, majority CMOs. And I asked them point blank in this survey, I said, like, who got the most value from our time together, the podcast together? And the answers ranged anywhere from, sure, maybe business prospects of their own to their board, to their employees. Some people said their family and friends, but the influence is just so much more than the direct interaction between like the host and the guest. And it's hard to see for any business who's on the hosting side. Yeah, it is. And it's hard to see if, you're, if your focus is monetization or your focus is, hey, I need this to pay off as a tactic. 
You know, if you're, if you're working to tell your story authentically because you're trying to find and nurture the people who connect with you, then it's a great tactic. It's just perspective. I think sometimes people look at it very in a very odd way. So you touched on that a lot of with Authentic Avenue, and I listened to a lot of your a lot of your episodes. You started out talking to a lot of CMOs, and then I think you reached a point where you saw a little bit of like either diminishing returns or a little bit of of struggle with that. Just as so, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, um, I began the Authentic Avenue portion of my career, like this past year has been a, a solo venture in creating this, this, I guess, company really. Is, yeah, that's what it is. It's a company. I got really great conversations very early on for two reasons. One, I had built up such incredible equity with these people already because I had been having them on podcasts for two years prior. I just couldn't do it for the same entity at that point because the business had gone out of business. But we were coming out of a time and then actually entering at the end of 20, like a, the second wave through Thanksgiving and the holidays, um, where people were still very much dealing with the impacts of the pandemic, either directly or indirectly for their teams. That allowed people to be much more relaxed, sit back in the chair, speak in a little bit more of a human way and tell a story that in a way that they hadn't either wanted to or had the ability to for, for years and years and years prior before that all happened. That spirit of personal storytelling intermixed with brand storytelling was really, really strong in 20, in the in late 20, beginning of 21, even mid-21. That didn't go away. However, as the world began to return to more traditional ways of work, as you saw TV commercials step more away from the we're here to help and back into the buy my macaroni and cheese, it was uh, that performance aspect of storytelling came back. There weren't the, I would say, more authentic, off-the-cuff moments that you would traditionally have seen in the 18 months prior. CMOs didn't get any worse at storytelling, but their priorities changed back towards the brand objectives that they were headed after. They get busier. And then also, they're, it's interesting, too, because I've interviewed CMOs, and, and some of them have been wonderfully open and very, very human. But, you know, they're media professionals in a lot of ways. Oh, and they're trained. That, that, that's the other thing is that, like, nobody could have trained them for the pandemic. Nobody could have trained them to com com completely disarm from behind a webcam. And then that started, or rather, the, the bones from that started to creep back in once things began return to, quote, unquote, normal. Yeah, PR team and comp teams are all over. We're, we're well aware of that. I'm sure we, we talked to P Hey, listeners, viewers, we, we talked to PR and comms teams way before we do a lot of these shows um, because a lot of them live on defense. But they also train their execs really well because take a publicly traded company, right? You don't want your exec to say something that doesn't align or isn't congruent with the current branding at the current time because investors could get mad and then your board's going to get mad and then your job's at risk. So I, I get it. But yes, I did experience a bit of what I perceive to be diminishing returns, which, by the way, could have also, last thought here, could have also been me. Yeah, right. I could have gotten complacent. Yeah, right. I'm not I'm not a gold standard all the time <laughs> in the zone interviewer. I try to be, yeah. but I'm imperfect also. So so yes, I, so my my shift in, in focus happened I, I did a little reflection I think in August. Yeah, I want to talk about that next. Okay, good. I'll hold that. But then I decided uh, okay, I, I will still talk to to CMOs because they tell the stories of the greatest brands we know, but I also want to fold in more people, maybe people like me, maybe founders um who still have not lack of polish, but still have that nothing to lose, like, hey, sat back, disarmed by nature attitude. Is that where growth culture came from? Growth culture, um, in, in, a, in a way, the spirit of the storytelling is that. Yeah. I wanted to learn about how to build companies that grew quickly and sustain them for two reasons. One, I'm doing that myself. Yeah, right. Good reason. And two, the, the organization I'm doing that in concert with is also interested in having those chats. The great part about talking with great revenue leaders and sales leaders is that they got sales in their blood. They, they love talking about, about the wins and getting gritty. And they're, they're not, they don't shy away from that in the way that somebody who is more buttoned up and talking about a brand might be. Um, oftentimes it's because their experience is more directly related to that business than somebody who was brought in to simply tell a story and, and, and operate via a brand Bible. Um, so yeah, growth culture absolutely aligns with that spirit of the storytelling and we're just a couple of published episodes into it, but I find that I'm getting a little bit of that grit back and it it's enjoyable. 
because it's refreshing. Also, I started my career in tech sales. So like, it's cool to look at some of the pinnacles of that. That's pretty cool. So are you still doing Authentic Avenue episodes and growth culture episodes? We are, we are in production for a few more Authentic Avenues for the rest of the year. Uh, which will be done in audio and video. And then in, in there, I'm speaking with, it's it's frankly, it is more founders, some founders who has who have sat as CMOs, some founders who are just starting their own thing. Um, and then yes, growth culture will continue to come out roughly every other week. And then there's another one that I'm going to do. This is all, of course, part of the business and me. Authentic Avenue is the name of the business and the podcast. Uh, I just started with my own stories because uh, well, that's all I had at the very beginning. I just had me. But um, yes, yeah, so both of those will continue to go in tandem uh, indefinitely. Yeah, man. I was one of the things I noticed about, you know, your company's called Authentic Avenue and then your podcast. Great title for a podcast, Authentic Avenue. I was I almost called it the A word, but that's a different story because a, a big week CMO told me that they thought authenticity was a dirty word, like a Fortune 100 CMO. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I want to lean into that a little bit. And uh, so, yeah, anyway. I've heard that perspective. You know, I think you could say that about any word that starts to get used a lot. Um, the One of the things I wanted to ask you about that is, you were so prolific with how many episodes you were putting out. Like, you, man, in your first year, how many episodes did you put out? Oh, put me on the spot. I, I, I roughly maybe 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 sixty. I, I tried to do I tried to do one a week. Yeah, and if I could get more, cool. Yeah, that's that's crazy. <laughs> that's a lot. So I, I I applaud your tenacity and your energy. We do not do that many. We're we're sort of a little. Our pace is a little less. Uh, intense than that, but hey, I mean, look at this production value. I mean, I don't, I don't have the whole, I don't have the setup. I don't, I don't have the the person sized television in front of me. I'm looking at, so like, I get it. You know, I my play was more of a volume play, and at the end of a boom, like right before that went out, you know, we had increased it to like, and this is going to seem really nuts, but I was doing podcasts at that level with that height of executive, um, thrice weekly. So, I mean, I was doing it 12 times a month. So I, it was actually kind of a, like a let a foot off the gas for me a little bit, but like, so for anyone else, it would have been a ton for you. It was actually a little less. It was a little bit less, but I had to open up some inventory because if I wanted to take on some brands, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to shuffle my, like the time priorities changed, which I never had to experience before because I never founded anything. All right. Well, let's talk about that because okay. I, I thought your post that you did on LinkedIn, you sort of did a reflection of your last year. And that's one of the things I really like about what you do on LinkedIn is you're really, very authentic. So you're very on brand. And then you're you're pretty vulnerable too. You just kind of talk about the things you're going through and what's happening. And, you know, starting your own business is a lot, man. And it's a lot to go through. So how's it going? Well, it uh, varies day by day. So I'll start there. No, everything's got its ups and downs. But I wrote that reflection uh, one, yeah, roughly one year in. I, I think the, I mean, so it really started by force in like the middle of August of 20. I think I started for real. I think I called October 1st of 20 it. And so then a year after that, I, I wrote this um, LinkedIn. It's it's a podcast. The podcast is directly transcripted into that article, which you can, anybody can see on LinkedIn or, or, or on the website or whatever, you know, through which I talked about a, a, like what I had learned about starting your own thing from quote unquote, nothing. I knew some of the people beforehand, but starting something from scratch where I was responsible for the rent, nobody, no, no paycheck was coming in every other Thursday. And I, yeah, I, I did attempt to get uh, vulnerable, like vulnerable adjacent. I wasn't coming totally undone with like how I felt about everything, but I, I crave that kind of more relatable content, especially right now. Um, just when we happen to be filming this, there are plenty of hugely celebratory posts and lots of lists getting made about people doing wonderful things. I posted about it recently on LinkedIn too, where I talk about people, like most of the time I see, the most engaged content I see with on LinkedIn is so happy to announce that dot, dot, dot. Something great has occurred and I want to tell my audience about it. And it's met with likes and claps and hearts and all those other ones and a bunch of comments saying, cool. Uh, I crave the other side. I, I want I want to hear not some mope story, but I just want to hear like some people's genuine emotion about it, about the the struggles of, hey, what happens when like you're not humble to announce dot, dot, dot? Yeah. That reflection, I, I think I, I tried to tell a little bit of my own side of it. I didn't probably do it as transparently as maybe I, I wanted to, because even for me, telling an authentic story isn't the most, it's not the easiest thing in the world because like you're laying you're laying your heart out there and hey if you, your business isn't going as well as you want you like do you want to 
publicize that? I don't know. What's the trade-off? It's scary. You know, it's scary to be transparent. It's scary to be vulnerable. Um, but, you know, it's also very human. So, I, you know, uh, on LinkedIn and in how I've been doing business, so this is my 28th year of running my own company. Wow. Yeah. Congrats so, on that. Yeah. it's And I could probably make a whole podcast. Maybe we'll flip and I'll have you on mine. We'll talk about. That'd be great. Because I have one year and I look at 28. And I was like, whoa, that's gold. Anyway, yeah, it's a journey, man. And so, you know, being, being vulnerable to the experience, there's a ton of people out there that I'm in, people listening that, you know, no one's going to judge you for struggling for your, through your first year of business and having successes and having struggles because we can all relate to that. Whether you whether you have a job or whether you're whether you've been in business for three years or five years, being in business in America for yourself is not an easy task. It's not like set up to be easy. So you got to have some grit and determination and a little bit of stubbornness and maybe a touch of insanity. More more than a touch, and you need <laughs> you need an incredible support network that's willing to give you moral and and and, and other forms of support. Yeah, I absolutely. wouldn't be doing this at all if if my now wife hadn't been okay with me taking half of the reportable income and saying, you know what, we're going to reduce that to zero for a second and see can is this worth it? That was another part of that reflection that I don't know if I talked about fully, but. Really, what I was trying to do for the whole first year of the business is, I mean, one, to myself, prove it wasn't a fluke, and it's not. But then secondly, um, literally financially, was like, replace the salary that I made my first year out of school in revenue. If I can do that and replace myself at my like lowest professionally understood value to the market, then I can then I deserve to continue to grow myself, however, instead of meet whatever market rate for my current experience is. And um, so that that's... It takes a support network to take that plunge. It does. Were you? Did you always have kind of an entrepreneurial bent as a kid, or is this new to you? Is the entrepreneurial experience new to you? I, I would say that I, I wasn't starting businesses when I was a kid. Uh, starting Authentic Avenue was truly the first business that I did for myself. The sales experience had been there. I started my career in tech sales, and before that, I was selling quarter-page ads for the school newspaper for for several years, which was great fun. Because there, there is is no polish to be had in calling a pizza shop that's busy and saying, "Hi, do you want to put you want to advertise your pizza shop in the corner of my ad?" It's a real nice, simple business school to go to, though. Oh, hey, well, that's true too. Although I think that you know, I, I what, what I've learned from these CMOs is, is well, it's not comparable to HBS, and I would know because I interviewed their CMO as well. But it's it was it was good. So I had the sales experience. So when I wanted to do this business, which I had been thinking about for a little while even even during Vavoom because it was it was a means to an end at the at the startup it was like we want to have good conversations with people and I was like all right well I I have this podcasting background I'd done a podcast before that personally which was called uh to dare is human which was a play on words from a quote by Alexander Pope which was just it's human to be this way and I talked to the founders that did it and how basically the first six months to the year of their journey went anyway it, it was learning about those journeys was great. Doing it for the startup was a means to an end to like get great conversations and break out of that friends and family barrier that every startup has to get through to like earn it. And then, and then once the circumstances aligned, I said, okay, well, it's now or never, right? My risk profile can be the highest because I'm the youngest I'll ever will be. Let's try. Good for you, man. Um, I hope it continues to go really well for you. I think what you're doing is, Same. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I really do. And I hope, I think what you're doing is really cool. And I think being able to talk about the struggles, you know, none of your, one of the struggles that you named in the article you made aren't struggles that people have in their first, fifth, 10th, 12th year. It's, you know, the thing about running your own business or being a business for yourself is that it's going to be a constant struggle. You just have to learn to love the struggle. Right. You know, so, you know, you mentioned wearing a lot of hats because that's really different than being an employee. How's that going for you? Well, it means it, it's it has forced me to flex a muscle that's probably the weakest in my body, which is my ability to time manage, um, you know, going from, hey, I'm I know what I'm doing. I'm writing people every day, getting them on the show and then I'm recording with them, period. And then post producing it and great is it, it, all good. But the other side of like taking a lot more time on the sales aspect of it, learning to build a website, learning to, you know, um, you know, learning to make content in different formats that I hadn't done before. Um, learning to buy things, that's weird, but it's like once some revenue came in, like learning to like invest 
smartly and like various equipment and things and not being worried about watching that cash go out the door when I still have to make rent on the first of next month. Um, being my own accountant, uh, taxes, like all that stuff, which is like nuts and bolts, which isn't very glamorous to talk about. Um, it's going well now for the first like three or six months. I was like, whoa, this is a totally new. It gave me a, it gave me a huge appreciation for the businesses for which I'd previously worked because there is so much more going on than any individual employee can understand. And being a solopreneur will teach you that perspective. It sure will. Yeah. I've, I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. It's just in my blood. And when I started my company, I had worked at various agencies, like advertising agencies. And I was in my 20s, like, you know, mid to late 20s. And I thought, like a 20 year old, I can do this better. There are things I didn't like. So a lot of times you get, you start as an entrepreneur because you're trying to fix a problem or you're trying to do something a little differently or you're passionate about something. So good for you, man. I'm, I'm really rooting for you. I think the, I think what you're putting out and I think Authentic Avenue um, can really add some incredible value for companies like the advice you're giving and people standing up podcasts to, to create, you know, real connection with their audience, not just sell at them, I think has incredible value to start conversations, but to like a provide the thought leadership that execs create, but also to like be, be a genuine thought starter as, as well. I think like it's once again, it's great for long tail biz dev, yeah, right. but upfront you're not going to get there. And so, Yes, it's to make if but if you're a business, especially startup, and you want to be known as like a forward thinker against a certain niche, and you can prove it by talking with big leaders who are frankly representing companies bigger than your own. I mean, that's a really strong starting position from which you can evangelize. And I appreciate I appreciate the kind words that the, the folks that I've been working with are seeing the returns of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're doing great work, man. Keep it up. And uh, so are you a Gary Vee fan? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I figured. Give, 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 ask the philosophy <laughs> on that. Having the having the pillar content, you know, there are a few things that I haven't been able to do, which is like, um, what's it? Is it the 90 cent rule where you give your two cents like 45 times a day? Plenty of stuff. I listen to plenty of it. I, I enjoy how he speaks. I, I, I don't have the courage to be as colorful with the language as he is, which I think is great. Um, and that and... I know you probably asked that with another question in mind, but I'll say last last initial observation on Gary is that like he is one of the notable exceptions, I think, to the rule that businesses can't expect a big audience at the very beginning because when Gary started Vayner, I mean, he, he had already earned the right to have a big audience based on what he had done for Wine Library. He was such a prolific content creator on his own. I think he ran that business by himself for the first like, I don't know, six or seven years. I, I forget how many, but it was a long, long time. He had built a cult following. When he starts a podcast, when he gets on a podcast, people tune in for him and anything that he's attached to will experience that explosion in attention. Yeah. But he's earned it. Yeah. I mean, we are at the long end of the long end tail <laughs> yeah. there. I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of that like slowly and then suddenly, you know, he built what he does very, very slowly with a lot of patience and hard work over a long period of time. So when you think he's suddenly so successful... It's because of all the work that went into it. It's because he was posted on Twitter in like 2007 yeah. before anybody else did. It's because he was early in Facebook. He was early in YouTube. He was early everywhere. Yeah, he's he's a pretty amazing guy. I had uh, Zane Gaziani, his um, uh, social media coordinator, on our podcast. Oh, that must be a th that must have been thrilling for you personally to talk. Yeah, to. Yeah, he's an amazing dude. You know, with all your knowledge around podcasts, and you know, I'm hoping. One of the things that people will take away from your episode is that, you know, podcasting can be a really strong play for brands and for solopreneurs and, and all sorts of different people trying to tell their story. What do you think are some common mistakes people make? And what are like some things you'd encourage people to think about if they're going to try to get into podcasting? First things first is the, there, there are two simple assumptions that I had going in, which were blown up in my face almost almost immediately. Not with Authentic Avenue, years prior, thankfully. Um, the first is that I got into audio because I initially wanted to do YouTube content. And I, because I thought that I, I had performance in public speaking in my background. I love being on camera. Isn't this great? Um, but I was a traveling sales guy. I was flying all over the place. And so I thought, oh, I'll just do podcasting. One less thing. Um, it's not one less thing, as I discovered there's still a ton of post-production stuff you need to do, even though your face isn't on the camera. So the first thing I'll say is that like, 
Yes, you can do podcasting with just your phone. However, that will not get you to the super high quality. Like you can't, like the barrier to entry is low, but the barrier to like quality is very, very high. Yeah, I agree with that. So that's what I'll say first. Um, secondly, and I didn't really learn this until, frankly, until I started with growth culture, although I'd had flashes of it before. You, you need to do like an incredible, to truly stand out, to get the the barrier to quality is so high because there's so much of it that's coming out. And there's, you're also competing with every other piece of content about a brand or an executive. You have to do like a ridiculous amount of granular research, in my opinion, to turn a guest on, to like open their eyes, be like, whoa, this person really knows what I'm talking about. And sometimes it will come organically if you're a big fan of the brand or if it's like a leader of a sport. You know, I've had that happen where like I'm a big, I'm a massive, Na you guys can't see the art here, but it's all NASCAR collectibles and stuff back there. Uh, so when I do a podcast there, like I'm pretty comfortable that I can speak knowledgeably on it, but in other ways you have to find creative, almost gimmicks to like throw a guest off and like disarm them and get to a place of like higher authenticity and off the cuff conversation. And I think not a lot of people focus that hard on the research. Um, you know, uh, you, you ever seen hot when you watch hot yeah, ones? You know, Sean I love hot okay. ones. Well, probably one of the best interviewers of our era. He's an amazing interviewer, and I think it's. A, I love that you talked about the research because people don't realize. I mean, I spend hours and hours and hours researching a guest, and and looking at things that might not make sense. You know, I look at everything, and then the questions come out of that. But you know, and I think it might be easier for some. Other, some people than others, because I'm a sort of a natural researcher. I love looking in and digging into things. So yeah, I think people, people do not know how much research that goes into a podcast. Yeah. Unless you're like friends with somebody and you can really, cause like some, and, and even business executives started doing that. I mean, in the CMO world, Jim Stengel, who was at PNG for years and years, started getting people that he knew for a long, long time, brought them on, probably didn't have to do the same level of research as I would have to do with that person. Roger, Roger Menard, uh, CMO MasterCard doing the same thing with his, like now, blossoming content presence probably knows people a lot better but like you know if you want to break in you gotta you gotta crank out like very brief story like 30 seconds like the first flash that i realized that was really important is i was doing a podcast for the startup previously before authentic avenue with a gentleman uh named chris who at the time was the chief marketing officer of panera bread i didn't know what to ask this guy except that i loved panera but i wanted to get into like his head it got like it got as granular as I went to his LinkedIn, I saw he graduated from a certain college in a certain year, combed through like the annals of the internet to find like a digital version of that yearbook, went to the graduation speech of like the featured speaker who like recited, a, I think it was like a like a parable or something like that in which, in which the line like bread is life came up very early in the speech. And so I came back and I asked that as the first question in the interview, made sure to ask it up top to throw him off. And I said, like, I was trying to figure out what your potential inspiration was to join Panera Bread. And then I remembered, isn't it true that, you know, in 1989 or whatever it was at Middlebury College, this guy, you know, in the first minute of his speech said that bread is life. Did that stick with you? Did that moment stick with you? Or was it just something else about the food world? that? And so, and, and Chris sat back and he was like, he like didn't know what to say. That type of moment, it doesn't have to be that. You don't have to like find somebody's blood type. No, but you, it has to be something... It has to be something real. It has to be something honest. Yeah. And you need to like almost shock people with it because if you shock them with it, you're going to shock everybody listening. Yeah. And also if you show up unprepared, I, th I see a lot of podcasts where you can tell the person is winging it or they, or they're just showing up because, you know, they wanted to get in what they wanted to say. Or because they want to eventually yeah. sell that guy. Yeah. And, right. And which it's is like, oh, well, this is just, I got you here. Yeah. Now we'll do, sure. We'll do our chat. God, and I'll really talk. No, that drives that's, me that's, nuts, that's man. That's BS, dude. Like, and you'll never, nobody will ever listen to your podcast there. No. One last word on the hot one, Sean Evans. That, you know that he's got so much derivative content around it that you can now find videos on YouTube, like five, six parts long, that are just guests stunned by his questions. It's not even the full conversation. It's just moments where they're like, what? No, he's always got, he always pulls out at least the one super deep cut question, which I think is so cool. Like, I, I just love, I admire that. And, you know, one of the things I, I think you and I talked about this a little bit on LinkedIn briefly, but, you know, we, when I started this podcast, a lot of, there's a lot of podcasts that are really niche, you know? So when I'm talking to CMOs, I'm really comfortable because I'm a marketer and I'm a brand marketer. I've been doing it for so long. We have stuff we can riff on, but I, I don't know if I intentionally or just by instinct made this really hard on myself because I have picked the widest swath of people to talk to. So my guest right before you is Bryn Kenny, 
who is the winningest poker player in the world. Wow. Yeah, but one of the sweetest, most interesting, most down-to-earth guys. And then combining that with, like, I also talked to Pat Craig, who runs the Wild Animal Rescue out in Colorado, who rescued the tigers from, you know, that Tiger King show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, my I feel like I have research whiplash is what I, <laughs> you know, because I go from one subject to another. Yeah, because you end up like, shoot, like, I don't know anything about yeah, rescuing I love tigers. It. And yeah, I love it because I then I dive in and learn enough to be able to have an intelligent conversation, which I think is cool. So, hey, I'm going to jump to a different part of the interview where I'm just going to ask you questions kind of a little bit just about you. So don't worry, they're not too vulnerable, but I think you, I think you'll have fun. So. It's been a kind of a wacky last couple of years with the pandemic and everything. And I've been talking to a lot of guests about this. Have you prioritized like mental health and well-being while you're trying to start a business and it's a pandemic? How have you been how have you been taking care of yourself, man? I'd like to say that having these sorts of conversations is a form of self-therapy, but that would be a cop out of an answer. So let me try to let me try to to answer this succinctly and eloquently. When it comes to pure like mental health initiatives, I don't think I do very much. And that allows me to, not allows me, it really, it, it makes me spiral when things go wrong and it allows me to get super high when things go right. Um, at the very beginning of like 20, you know, there, were, there was certainly like learning your breathing exercises and doing uh, you know, stretchings in the morning and, and not like yoga, but meditation. I, I did that. And I always come on and off of that because I end up, I end up deciding that like, wow, the time I'm spending here is rather inefficient. I could trade that into something else I'm doing. And then there you go. There's the spiral again. The real way that I did wellness was in the, again, in the middle of 20 is I started focusing on my physical health a lot, which is something that has wavered. That's something that's vulnerable over the past, nah, what are we, 21, 10 years. Um, wildly. I, frankly, not a whole lot was going on. I wasn't going out, wasn't seeing a lot of people, wasn't doing a lot of things. So I started this, I did this fitness challenge, which is called 75 hard, which is like this psychotic challenge whereby you are, uh, you were working out twice a day. You're not drinking, you're staying on a, on a, on a strict food regimen. You're drinking a gallon of water every day. You're reading and you're taking like progress photos of yourself, which is something that you need to have like a hell of a lot of concentration to get through. Poetically enough, the 75th day was the day that my startup had to announce that it was going out of business. So it was a great mental sure. like buildup for this whole venture because I'd been committed to something for the past 75 days at the very least um, that gave me a spirit to continue forward. Nowadays, that has slipped by the wayside. So has mental health maintenance. And frankly, I don't have a great answer for how to do it. <laughs> right. So it's something that I got, it's something that I got to work on because like, some days you'll get a win and it'll be great. Other days, like yesterday, there's a list of all these fantastic people come out. I'm not on it. I'll be honest with you. I was upset. I was upset for like no reason. Cause it's like, I, there's so many more things around that than just me, but I, yeah, I needed, I need to do better with it. I just don't know how. Yeah. Well, you know, reach out to people and talk about it. And if you ever want to talk about it, I'll talk about that too. Cause I've been keeping myself sane for 28 years running a business. So you and I can connect on that. Yeah, that's, that's that's perspective I desperately need. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I talked to uh, Patricia Corsi, who's the CMO for Bear, and the reason I talked to her is she put out a, a video or a post on AdAge during the pandemic where she talked about put your oxygen mask on first, and where if you take care of yourself, you can take care of the people around you, and. You know, self-care, I think it's something we all have to try to get better and better at. So thanks for thanks for answering that, man. So what's the most important thing you've learned so far in your career? Uh, okay, so that that's probably the power of compounding um, and that not everything is going to be an immediate return. The first important thing that I learned was a, actually it was a 15-part decree that my first business mentor taught me. The broad phrase is make it happen, which is not going to be an unfamiliar phrase to people, but the specific way in which he did it, which was uh, joining the first company I was with and growing it to the point that it got acquired in 2015, serving as the first sales hire and the leader of that team the entire time uh, was very, very important. So like find your methodology for making it happen. And then just understand that even once you have that laid out in your mind, that it everything everything is a long tail. Everything's going to compound, especially um, especially in long form content, which is where I live. But you know, in, in any in any venture, and 
if you keep that in mind with the correct guardrails, you won't burn out as quickly as you think. That's great, man. And uh, I think this question connects. What piece of advice have you been given that's really stuck with you? The pieces of advice that I've been given that really stick, you know, the... It's a weird one because it's a question. Sure. That works. But the question has been at every stage, you have to remember who cares. That's really weird. So let me, let me explain. When I started Authentic Avenue as a solo venture, I knew I was going to like exit the world of W2. I spoke to a woman named Kathy Davis, who I've spoken to plenty of times at the time she was the chief marketing officer of Feeding America. And now I think she's going to announce something else she's doing pretty cool pretty soon. Um, I got in there and I and, and I and I asked her. I said, "Listen, we we've done at that point we'd done two podcasts together, uh, and I'd said, what should I keep in mind as I go on to this content effort by myself to start these conversations and maybe even make a business out of it?" And she was like, "In in every step that you take, every question that you ask, every guest that you line up, every bit of research that you do, you have to keep asking yourself, who cares? Because um, at the end of the day, you you are going to need to drive some sort of attention, even if it is a long tail, and that." That advice has driven me towards, I think, things which have outsized value in the way that I ask questions and the way that I do my business. If I'm if I'm convinced that nobody's going to care, I don't even think about it, um, which might seem intuitive for others. It wasn't really for me because I got so self-involved and emotionally invested in content and prior effort that I was a, sort of applying this sunk cost fallacy to certain decisions and things that I just did because dot, dot, dot. Yeah, man, I think that's great advice. It's very audience centric, but it's also just very, uh, a very good perspective to look at things from is, you know, if you're going to produce something, even if it's just a small amount of people, make sure someone's going to care about it. So it's, you're not just, you know, speaking to your own vacuum. I think that's a good, good way to think about bringing anything to anyone. Um, so what's something, I've got like two more questions and then we'll wrap this up. What's something you've learned this week? Oh, something, something that I've learned this week. I think, oh man, I, lo- I love these because they're throwing <laughs> me all off. This is sweet. I'm having fun. I should probably man. do some sort of lightning round with guests that I have at some point. Um, something that I learned this week. Well, I, I think that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm learning even as the day days go by, just about like the power of consistency, even in small pieces. And, and I'll explain what I mean. It's because right now I'm, I've committed myself to like making a small post on LinkedIn every single day. And what, and I don't have one interesting thing to say a day that's like novel and new, that's going to get like a bunch of light bulb emojis or whatever. So I'm taking it in the form of like, let me just document what I'm doing instead of necessarily like creating something. Let me just, well, just tell stories about, what's going on or new things. And I th- I'm thinking that that consistency will, will gradually build up the audience and the following that I wanted to do by saying those otherwise erudite things that I come up with once every two weeks, which is a relatively new learning in the scope of deep diving with 30 minute conversations with executives. Because to me, they're like kind of opposed. I can't do a podcast like that every single day. Um, I was also given some perspective a while back. I I do a little bit on TikTok and I was humbled because I am super proud sometimes that I'll have an executive I do a podcast with 30 minutes and like the audience will be there. It might be cozy, but it's there and people are really highly engaged. And then I did a video that was like 15 seconds long on TikTok about Reese's launching a peanut butter cup pie, like in the shape of a pie. And it got 500,000 views, <laughs> which is like m- more than the majority of any other content I've ever done. Yeah. And so I, like it's humbling because it reminds me like, hey, you, you don't have to you don't have to like sit there and be the thinker to like build an audience or people that care about anything. You know, it's don't talk about nothing, but like take the pressure off yourself. That's something new I'm learning. Also, just be yourself. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And also, you know, be genuinely you, man. You're a, you're an incredibly intelligent, super engaging guy. So just keep doing what you're doing. I've been seeing the, little, the video clips you've been putting out. I think they're really enjoyable. You know, I'm trying. I just, just like, keep I'm just doing, doing it, things that are just around. I and, think it's and great. Like, yeah. 
hopefully people like that too. Yeah, I think it's a great way to be you and don't concentrate on the on how many, you know, responses you get. Just keep being you. I think that'd be the only the only advice I'd throw your way. I'm going to keep that bar low and just because like if I don't get any whatever because it takes a minute or sometimes it takes 11 takes like it did the first time I did it. But like <laughs> uh, if I don't put enough pressure, if I don't put as much pressure on myself, like come what may. And that might actually unintuitively, at least to me, work. That's great, actually. So last question. Um, if you could give your younger self any advice, what would it be? There's a quote that is painted on the wall somewhere at now Meta's HQ. The only reason I know the quote is there is because at my college graduation, Sheryl Sandberg, who was then and is still the COO of the company, spoke. And I met her that day. She's great. The quote says, what would you do if you weren't afraid? That quote caused people in the audience that day to turn away their consulting offers and start their own businesses. It wasn't me, but it was people that I later interviewed on a podcast that I had met that day. That is as major a statement as can influence whether or not you start your own thing. And it can be as minor as convincing you that if you take a 15 second video of your cluttered office to show that you're imperfect too, that people will engage just the same. Years ago, and even still today, I was nervous about the image that I was putting out. I felt it had to be consistently perfectly polished which is a perception that's been blown up in my face in this now era of, frankly, mostly shorter form, shorter form, attention-driven content. I think that had I had that cavalier mentality back in 2013 and 14 when I was starting my career and when I was creating, starting to create content like this back in late 2016, early 17, I think that I would be more advanced and graduated in the way that I produce now. I'm getting there. I would be more open to being vulnerable, that kind of thing. I just wouldn't, because I wouldn't be afraid. I'd encourage anybody who's thinking about any minor or major decision to sit back and say, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And just see what answer pops into mind. That's amazing. And I think that's a great place to wrap up. And I'll, I'll add to that, that one of my uh, mantras as I've run a business for as long as I have, and I heard this from a very good friend of mine, is that fear is a liar and that it's always lying to you. So I've never heard that before. Yeah, and it's a really powerful statement. So when you feel afraid, stop for a second and be like, is this lying to me? Is this trust trying to keep me down? Is this trying to change my energy so I'm going to be hesitant? And uh you know, I think it's just a great it's a great perspective because you know, your raw content that you've been putting out lately and you know, I'm glad I got to talk to you today cuz I just noticed it, you know, cuz you just started doing it a few days ago. Bravo, man, because I'm really enjoying it. I really enjoy just seeing the real you and you're talking and and just be you, man. It's good stuff. I, I appreciate it. And uh, it's an honor to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. On the other side of the mic. Very, very cool. Mic stand aside uh, that I have here, you know, I to be a guest is, frankly, pretty cool. Thank you so much, man. Like, I, I had an absolute blast talking to you today. So did I. It was awesome. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Thanks, everybody, for watching. You're absolutely. still recording this. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening and watching. And we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Adam, great. You know, the best of luck with everything you're going to do. I think you're going to be wildly successful as you move forward, my friend. Thank you. Fingers crossed. Want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story.